It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is episode three in our Muscular Christian series, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, Of course, I think I get excited about every message I give. Uh, Otherwise, it's probably not worth giving. But this is called Spiritual Athletics, and since some of you know that I really like names, I really like this one. There's something about the term spiritual athlete that sort of gets my blood pumping. One of the most significant moments in my life spiritually is when I gave a message. I want to say Hudson probably was around two, so I mean we're talking like 16 years ago. Uh, that I gave a message called The Spiritual Athlete. And it's an important watershed moment in my life because I would say it's the first time I ever preached. Now, I taught for years, and I had traveled around the world and spoken to audiences for for years up to that point. However, it was the first time I, I I had prayed a prayer, and I had said, Lord, Make me pray like a man. Actually, uh, I need to go back because it wasn't my prayer. It was Leslie's prayer over me. And she said, Lord, make my man to pray like a man. So I need to get this story straight. And so it was about 30 seconds after that prayer. It was a very significant moment, even that. And I prayed a prayer that was so forceful, so filled with something. It's like spiritual testosterone, if you could say it that way. And it began something in me. I always called it the lava pool, where something uh, strong was ebbing forth. And the next time I got up to speak was this message. It was, I think, a Sunday morning, and it was a message called The Spiritual Athlete. And I didn't even know what had happened to me, but I had such forcefulness in my tone and in my delivery that it shocked me. And it began something, because I didn't grow up hearing what we would maybe call preaching. In fact, I didn't even have a positive lens or thought towards something called preaching. And yet that was the beginning of something in my life where I began to recognize where preaching comes from, and even the foolishness of preaching, because I had a lot of people that were concerned about me. (laughs) But this idea of the spiritual athlete, just to give you a little background, has been a deep, deep part of my life of how God has been cultivating just the... Uh, the tone of my soul, that I could take care of my body physically, but Eric, how are you taking care of your body spiritually? You know, on on our campus right now, we have a work crew and they have a push-up challenge. So the goal is uh, to see how many push-ups you can get in the month of November. So other people have no shave November. We have push-up November around here. And Uh, It's interesting because doing push-ups consistently is actually a lot of hard work, and your body starts to feel it when you do it regularly. It's like you want a break between. And yet, if you are consistent with it, you can actually get rather strong in push-ups. But what if we did the same thing spiritually? And we didn't have a push-up November, but we had a prayer November. And we struggle, I think, as the church in discipline, just the idea of discipline, because it sounds like legalism from the very get-go. And yet I think the idea of training as an athlete is built around the idea of discipline, and it is not contradictory to the spiritual life because it depends on how you are going about that discipline. Is it in the flesh and according to human effort, or is is it in agreement with the Holy Spirit? Anything in agreement with the Holy Spirit is not going to wander into the territory of self-effort and legalism. And as a result, there is a form of 
getting in shape and discipline that is in agreement with the Spirit of God. And that's what we want to talk about. So James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, that's you, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I know you know that scripture. I've you know, re- referenced this scripture so many times as a teacher, as a leader, as a pastor. And yet, wow, there's a lot in this that it, it sounds like a very strange form of encouragement that we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many of you have ever thought of a trial or a challenge or a weight as a positive thing. However, if you translate Christianity into the realm of athletics, this actually makes a lot of sense. And so I'm going to give what I'm going to call the CrossFit adaptation to this. Now, I have a good friend in my life named Aaron who started a different system of uh, training called uh, In the Core, ITC. And so he'd be sort of offended if I chose the CrossFit adaptation. So we'll also call it the ITC adaptation. My brethren, that's you, count it all joy when you fall under various weights knowing that the testing of your muscles produces a healthy pain. But let that healthy pain have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, and then I added this, ready to face any physical challenge. You see, an athlete is built to face weights and challenges. And so an athlete actually delights in a, an obstacle course, in fact, when, when Aaron was training me, one of the things he would always do, he'd come in every few weeks and he'd stick together an obstacle course. And I tell you what, that's a lot of fun. And the entire goal is to get through that obstacle course. And then it's to increase your speed through that obstacle course. And a, an obstacle, when you are an athlete, actually becomes a really delightful thing. Even if the first time you go through it, you fail, well, then there's a side of you that wants to overcome that obstacle. Why is it that in Christianity, we have such a negative hue towards trials that we encounter? Because if we had the athletic mindset, it would transform our approach to living. And so uh, here we are talking about the muscular Christian. I'm giving you a mindset that if you want to be strong as a Christian, you have to learn to embrace the weights. If you go into the gym and you don't embrace the weights, you're not going to get stronger. But if you embrace the weight and you embrace what I'm calling a healthy pain when you're exercising those weights, and I'm likening that to the word patience, hupomeno. And patience has a a, a very deep meaning in history. For instance, the martyrs, when they endured their sufferings, were showcasing patience. In other words, they were facing pain, yes, but it was a positive pain, and they recognized that. And so their patience was the ability to go through pain with joy because they knew that that was working something greater in their life. And oftentimes it was actually bringing them home to be in the presence of Jesus. And so they endured their suffering with patience. Most of us have not seen that modeled in our generation. We have not seen that showcased. And as a result, we're a little blank in our stare back at such a statement going, okay, how does that work? But what if we, those of us meditating on this very thought right now, were willing to say, Spirit of God, teach me. 
may I be a, a picture of this in my generation so that my generation can see a man or a woman full of joy when they face trials, challenges, and the weights of life. So I have, if you're seeing this via video, I have a screen that says building our lives differently. If you want a different results, don't keep doing the same thing. Now, that's just a life principle. If you keep producing bad fruit, you should probably change the way you live. However, it also could be looking at the church around us, and some of us are very disturbed by the health of the church system today. And we could you know, cluck our tongue, but then we actually behave the same way. In other words, what we don't like in the church system, we ourselves actually participate in. And so how are we supposed to end up with a different result if we keep doing the same thing? And so what I would say is maybe you need to allow the Spirit of God to actually intervene and say, hey, let's change things up. Let's actually do this differently. And that's sort of the entire idea behind the muscular Christian. It's like some of us need to enter into push-up November or whatever the term would be for us spiritually, where we're saying, okay, Lord, I want to get serious about this. I want to start focusing during my day on the things that are going to make me stronger, not on the things that are going to break me down. So this will be a fun meditation because I'm going to introduce the English bowmen. And they are, I'm referencing them as the ultimate medieval athletes. These guys are really impressive. And you oftentimes don't think of athletics prior to like the 1900s. I don't know why that is, but uh, we, we have a tendency to look back and, well, they didn't have athletics back then. Well, they did. It was oftentimes different, but the, just the nature of life produced a healthier form of, of living. And I'm not saying that their hygiene was great, and I'm not saying that their medical systems were great, but when you had to walk everywhere you went, uh, when you had to uh, eat off the land as opposed to processed foods, I'm guessing that there were, were some healthy benefits to that. These English bowmen, even though they were back in the 13 and 1400s, were spectacular athletes. So let's go into that a little. I'm going to give you some facts about English bowmen. An English bowman was not built by accident. He was built on purpose. And an English bowman in the 13 and 1400s, England, was their great secret of indomitable military strength, able to unleash up to 12 three-foot arrows a minute, shooting them with seemingly supernatural accuracy at lengths of up to three football fields, piercing even the most illustrious knight's armor as well as four-foot-thick castle doors killing guards standing on the other side. <laughs> This is like so magnificent. When you study it, you just sort of have awe because we don't use bowmen in battle anymore. But back then, there was nothing another military could do to stop this. The English ruled in the military system because of their strength of their bowmen. I mean, could you imagine three football fields away with supernatural accuracy being able to strike down through a castle door and kill a guard on the other side? The castle door is supposedly four foot thick. I've never seen a four foot thick door. But okay, that's just the way I, 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 I researched it. That's extraordinary. Okay, let's go to fact number two. The English bowmen of the 13 to 1400s England still to this day are considered by sports scientists to be one of the most amazing physical specimens of human history. They were the special forces of their day, the elite athletes of war history. So let's go into the background of the building of an English bowman. And hint, it didn't happen overnight. 
You see, if, say another country saw the bowmen of England, they're like, we, let's let's get some bowmen uh, of our own. And so, say uh, you know, Russia was like, hey, let's let's build up our own bowmen force. Well, you can't do it overnight because to build an English bowman actually was a lifelong training process, and the process was rigorous and it was disciplined, and the end result was unstoppable. And so I want you to just sort of catch a vision as we're going through this, because really I'm not talking about English Bowman, even though I am. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the Church of Jesus Christ, the ultimate military machine, that we are supposed to be an unstoppable force, but for whatever reason, we seem very stoppable these days. So let's go to English Bowman fact number three. To shoot an English longbow demanded a lifetime of consistent training and the cultivation of immense strength the ability to pull weights of up to 200 pounds. Now, these, these bows were, I don't know if they were six feet tall, they were huge. They could have even been taller than that. And they were discovered in the hull of a boat. I think it was the Queen Mary, and this was just a few years ago, where they actually found the skeletal remains and the bows of a bowman party that were, were headed towards a battle somewhere. And they actually found these bows that you know, all these experts are looking at it going, that's humanly impossible to pull that bow. And yet then they studied the skeletal uh, makeup of these bowmen, and they were just shocked by what they were finding. Because, well, not only did these bowmen pull these bows, history actually would enunciate that they could pull this bow and shoot 12 arrows in a minute. But the pull weight was <clears throat> estimated to be around 200 pounds. Now, if you have ever pulled a bow. Usually you have some kind of uh, cantilever, some kind of help device on it these days to alleviate the pull weight. And most of you would say that would be impossible. You could never do a pull weight of 200 pounds. So I have in my on my screen here, to supply perspective, the typical bow today has a pull weight of around 50 to 60 pounds. To pull a six foot tall bow with a pull weight of 200 pounds would be considered by many today as simply impossible. And in fact, there's a few of you out there like, yeah, there's no way anyone could do that. And yet supposedly in history, these bowmen actually did this and they didn't just do it, you know, once in a minute, you know, and strain themselves. They did it every minute and they would do it for hours. I'm, I mean, I technically, I can't prove that piece, but that they were the sharpshooters too, that they were not just doing it and pulling a bow, but they were accurate with their shots. I mean, this is, this is remarkable. So English Bowman fact number four, for a 20-year-old boy to be prepared to shoot an English longbow, he would need to start training as a little boy. Here's fact number five. The little English boy would be taught the proper form and entrusted with a miniature longbow. You see, he didn't get the six-foot longbow. He got a little teeny longbow, and he would learn how to step into the bow. There was a rhythm to it, and you had to train in this every single day. I have a daughter that is a gymnast, and I'm always trying to encourage her to take a break from her gymnastics, <laughs> but she knows she can't. I mean, it's funny. Uh, she understands what is needed to be excellent in gymnastics, and she recognizes it's a daily thing. She needs to keep a continuity. Her body responds when it knows daily what it's doing. There is something about that that is very, very important for a gymnast. 
Well, there was something very, very important about that for a bowman as well. This was something that was a huge deal in England. And the king himself gave rewards. That's the reason they had games in England and they would test, you know, the the strength of the different people, whether it's in jousting or, or some other form, because they were constantly training. They wanted to reward those that were in excellent shape and condition. Fascinating thought. Spiritually, we can oftentimes cover up our lethargy. We can look good on the outside and say, amen, really loudly during a sermon or maybe hallelujah. And yet, Inside, we could be fatsos. In other words, we could be totally out of shape. We may not actually be fit for the battle, fit to carry a weight. And so I'm fascinated by this because this is what deeply intrigues me about becoming muscular in my Christianity is I recognize that it demands a consistency and a discipline of life around something that I believe will bring about the effects that God has promised. So here's fact number six for an English bowman. All throughout the boy's life, as his strength and ability increased, so would the size of his bow, and so would the distance required for him to shoot. So this little boy is trained to step into the bow and to catch that rhythm and to get the feel of the bow. And then as he mastered that, his dad would graduate him to a bigger bow size. And as he mastered that, he would graduate to a bigger bow size. And as he, as he mastered that, he would graduate to a bigger bow size. So as a result, his strength didn't have to increase overnight to pull 200 pounds, which is what most of us would say is impossible, but it was increasing. And his body was being built to handle this very odd movement. And what there was, there was a deformity that would actually show up, I, I want to say on their left shoulder, almost like a Popeye deformity. And so you could always tell a bowman uh, because they had they were deformed in how they look. Now, to say they were deformed is the way we might look at it. However, in England, it was a sign of being in the ultimate condition, the ultimate military machine. It was a special forces tattoo on that, uh, that bowman. And so it was actually a positive, uh, if you want to say deformity, a positive mark of strength in their culture. But to the other cultures, what do you think it might have looked like? It would have been sort of a laughing sort of thing. It's like, <laughs> look at that guy over there. When in actuality, it was a symbol to the English that this man could defend his homeland. So here's my English bowman fact number seven. Daily, he would need to practice, for the archer's strength isn't just in his physical strength and technique, but also in his intimate familiarity with the movements of, quote-unquote, bending the bow. And if he doesn't stay close and familiar with this difficult movement, he immediately loses his effectiveness as an archer. Have you ever had it where you feel very sharp spiritually? You feel like the Word of God is clear and you can access it uh, readily? You feel like when you're going through a difficulty, you're immediately turning to God, you're immediately rejoicing, you're immediately considering the things that are higher, you're not considering the things of this earth. And then you grow dull and you oftentimes lose that rhythm or that bending of the bow, that daily practice. And when you do, you lose the familiarity with that and it actually becomes painful and your muscles have to readjust. Your skeletal structure has to readjust to this movement that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago was familiar to you. Being in shape, staying in shape is an art form in and of itself. And spiritually, we are no different. There is a need for consistency for true muscular strength for the athlete to develop.
All right, guys, I know you're enjoying these facts that I'm dishing out about English Bowman. I have one more for you. Fact number eight. If this training was done diligently and right, the little English boy would grow up with distinct deformities to his physical body. His left arm would show that he was, in fact, a bowman in training. His arm would bulge with muscular irregularity, think Popeye the Sailor Man, possibly appearing strange and misshapen to those unfamiliar with how the art of archery impacts a man's body. As a result, it was obvious to all that saw the lad that he was in training and that he was being groomed for the king's service. The longer I've been around uh, Christianity, the church, I recognize spiritual athleticism when I see it. When I see someone who is given to Jesus, you can sort of see it in their eyes. You can almost hear it in their voice and discern it in their tone of living. And we need to show forth the same distinct qualities that the ancient bowmen showed. Yeah, but you don't need to have a bulging left bicep. But you do need to have that quality of love, of deep care for those around you, of joy, that light in your eyes that shows an eternal hope, an eternal smile of the soul. We have the greatest life. We are the happiest people on earth. At least we should be. I mean, think about it. We are saved. We're redeemed. We're loved. We're chosen. We have an eternity with the living God. We have life eternal right now. We have every reason to be strong. We have every reason to embrace the pains, to embrace the challenge of bow training, to grow up unto bigger bows, and to allow God to build us into a military machine. So the training of a heavenly bowman, hint, it's amazingly similar. So if we're going to be training as heavenly bowmen, it's very similar to the training of earthly bowmen. Heavenly bowmen, fact number one. Heavenly bowmen are not trained on accident, but on purpose. You see, it's the same. You don't accidentally build an English longbowman, nor does God accidentally build a heavenly bowman. You see, when we're going to be built out of that pattern of heaven, that Jesus pattern in heaven, there is a very purposeful process the Spirit of God will bring us through. The question is, are we going to yield to it? Are we going to be malleable to those pains, to those weights, to those difficulties? Are we going to count them all joy? Or are we going to resist them and say, I don't want that? You see, when we resist that working of the Holy Spirit in us, when we resist those great opportunities around us to rejoice, to consider that joy, to consider that an opportunity, then we lose the opportunity to stay in that bending the bow rhythm where we maintain that intimacy with this bow movement. All right, heavenly bowman fact number two. A young bowman must be trained often and consistently. This is speaking of us. It has to be often and it has to be consistent. Fact number three. As a bowman in the making, you, we, must accept the fact that you, we, will look funny to the world as a result of this intensive training. See, that's something many of us don't like. I don't want to look funny to the world. I want to be popular. I want to be approved. I want to be liked. However, if you really want to be his bowman, if you really want to be his athlete, you need to allow this body that represents Christ to look misshapen to the world. It's not an easy choice. I understand that, but it is essential to success in the Christian life. You need to accept it. You're going to have a bulging left bicep spiritually, and it's going to look odd to the world around you. And yet, it's a good quality in heaven. It looks good to the heavenly eyes.
Fact number four, you must realize that you are being trained to present your life under the king for military service and that you will likely die in combat. When you're being trained as a soldier, it just comes with the territory. You recognize that you are laying down your life for serving something higher. This isn't just serving your country in, in the military. This is serving your king. And you recognize up front that it means your life. And so you don't hold it too tightly. You hold it loosely. You recognize that part of your training is to be ready to lay down your life when asked for it. Fact number five. And you mustn't listen to the overtures of the world around you that will naysay this intensive training. Oh, you're working too hard. It sounds like me talking to, to Abby. It's like, Abby, you need to take a break. I need to be careful how I encourage Abby, right? Because it seems so extreme. And yet, when you're doing it for a heavenly purpose, when you're doing it for spiritual gain, there is something so wonderful in that training and that exercise. All right, we're going to finish with this. James 1, 2 through 4. Now, this is our, I called it the CrossFit adaptation at first, and then I also gave the ITC adaptation, just in case some of you are out there listening to this that are concerned about me, uh, you know, supporting CrossFit instead of in the core. But I'm going to call this the ultimate athlete edition of James 1, 2 through 4, okay? My brethren, that's you, count it all joy when you fall under various weights, knowing that the testing of your muscles produces a healthy pain. But let that healthy pain have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then I added this just because, you know, we need to remember how this all applies. Ready to face any physical challenge and ready to send off 12 arrows every minute from an ancient English longbow. You're built to do impossible things. Things that others around you say, uh, there's no way anyone could do that. Just watch what God will do with you when you submit unto him for military training, let him have you. Let him use you. Let him build you into something mighty. I guarantee you, he will do something exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.